Here we are at uh, Benaras Beach, which is probably one of the most gorgeous locations that I ever get to record this wonderful podcast from. And we've had a little break from uh, proceedings for the last few weeks. I've been here, there and everywhere and actually just decided to take a little uh, hiatus from uh, putting this podcast out um, until I found the right person that captured my imagination. And I've definitely had one of the most life-changing experiences in the weekend just gone um, when I was invited by... One of my other favourite people on the island to come on a course um, focused on fascia, which is one of my favourite topics to talk about, as you've probably noticed on this podcast in the past. Um, teaching yoga, non-linear movement, creating freedom um, in the body and moving into sort of freedom of motion and range of movement is very, very um, something that's dear to my heart. So when I was invited to attend a course at the open space near um, Santa Catrudes last weekend, I was a little bit hesitating. Um, but then I read a little bit about the lady that was going to be giving the course. Um, and I'm just so, so grateful that she's managed to make a little bit of time to pop down here to Benaras uh, this afternoon to join me at Elements, a place I actually used to teach yoga many, many moons ago. It seems like a fitting spot under the trees. You can probably hear them tweeting merrily in the background. Um, but yeah, the wonderful Karen Locker has joined us here on the Reset Rebel podcast. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Lovely to be here in this beautiful little spot in Ibiza. And actually, it's the first time I've been here just three times, twice in the winter. It's the first time I've been here in warmer, I won't say warm, but warmer weather and um, been able to get about and see a little bit of the uh, treasures of the island and uh, so far it's just gorgeous. I mean you've obviously come from a hell of a lot warmer climates uh, than that Ibiza. I saw you sort of trotting around in the lunch break at open space with your sort of gym jams and your uh, big rug on and I was like what's she doing and then I realized obviously you've come from Dubai where it's probably about another 20 degrees on top of this. Yes it's about 40 45 at the moment um, and uh, yeah, that's heating up for the summer, hits about 50 over the summer, and then the humidity sets in in August, September. So good time to get to the European cool, which uh, nice time to be in Europe over the summer. I do head back tomorrow, though, so uh, back to the heat. So for me, this is, this is pretty chilly, I'm afraid. My, my temperature's changed, but I've been there for now three years and, uh, and enjoying it and uh, love to come to Ibiza. I got invited here the uh, the first time by Virginia from Can Oliver in Santa Catrudis, who I'm sure most of you, you know. She attended a workshop of mine in um, Zaragoza, uh, probably in 2013 or something, 2014 yeah, maybe, and then, and then invited me last year to do the first workshop here, which was a different workshop. It was a three-day workshop, again in open space, more about interception and the sensory organ, which is fascia. Fascia is claimed the largest sensory organ of the body, so we focus specifically on the sensory organness of it and uh, interception, so how we feel our inner state as opposed to proprioception, which is how we feel where we are in space. So that was last year, and then there she wanted me back this year to work specifically with the manual therapists on the island um, to show them how to affect fascia specifically. So that's what we did this weekend. Um, so we had a group of manual therapists from all different backgrounds, 
and um, introduce them to what fascia is and how they can get involved and bring bring the uh, fascial awareness into their practice so we practice feeling it and changing it and adapting it and recognizing how extremely moldable it is um, and changeable it is and how we can pretty much get it to do anything because it responds so uh, fastly to its environment whether that be uh, and you the practitioner become the environment that the tissue changes to and which means that you have to be super conscious all the time of what you as the practitioner, the environment, your state and what you want to change, how you want to change the fashion. I think, yeah, I think that's kind of fascinating. I hate to use that wonderful pun that I see all over Instagram. (laughs) It's not the first time, I'm sure. But I feel like, you know, Virginia um, at Can Oliver, which is like a sort of osteopathy and uh, healing centre, really, in Santa Catrudis, she, whenever I have a treatment from her, it's um, and people ask me what she does. It's quite impossible to describe because it's not it's not one specific thing. Um, but it became very apparent really after being invited to join this um, this workshop that it was actually for manual therapists, and I and I'm not a manual therapist, but it became very obvious to me. Um, <laughs> that's a guy who runs tantra courses, by the way. <laughs> he's a very strange man I just saw you looking at him just grinning he's uh, intriguing and I got very distracted by the child coming past he's also Kiko the restaurant owner's um, new baby who's adorable Aww. I haven't actually seen her yet so <laughs> so I, I th- you know what, what was very apparent to me through the course of this workshop for manual therapists was that you know the work that she always does on me is, is fascial release work and uh, and a mixture of craniosacral and a mixture of osteopathy and a mixture of many other things besides. But the primary work that I feel works best on me personally, and I think obviously mm. clearly having taken the course, most people is kind of to get into the fascia and to kind of set it free. Because once you set that free, everything else becomes a hell of a lot easier to move because it is the one thing that obviously, as you said, is the largest organism. It encapsulates every piece of us. So releasing one part of it, obviously, it's just so very connected to another that you maybe not might not kind of understand that until you really feel it for yourself. So I was really interested in um, this fascial release kind of technology that you've been um, working with us on at the weekend. But if, for people that have no idea what a fascia really is, I mean, how could you kind of describe that to them? Well, okay, you said that it's the it's now only recently be declared the largest organ of the body, but it's a system of the body that was previously um, unrecognized because it's very fine. It's like a sort of wet um, spider web, if you like, um, that in parts is very fine and in parts is very sticky and glue-like. That literally holds all the structures together and keeps them separate so that they're not crowding each other and distributes all the information between the systems so it touches every other system. So in fact, without it, nothing happens in the body. So it's it's the communicator, the distributor, the organizer, the regulator, um, the sensory organ. It does pretty much everything. Um, it's moving all the time. And the biggest problem is when it gets restricted. It's, its continual flow of movement gets restricted um, because then the information doesn't get passed on. Muscles don't receive their regulatory action information. Muscles, uh, organs don't receive what they need to receive. So things start to shut down, things start to compensate, things start to stagnate, which then turns into disease. So in order to, fascia is mostly water, well, 68% water, 
Um, and that's why this information can far, travel so fast through it because of its water base and it, well, it travels seven times faster than the nervous system because it's a water-based system. Um, but in order to keep it hydrated, we have to keep moving. So even the greatest researchers, and there's a lot of research on fascia at the moment, is saying literally move or glue, or even move or die. You know, if you don't move, your fascia is going to get stuck and then everything else is going to start packing down. So movement, which means Joe sitting right here, is actually a doctor of the future because she's going to be able to resolve an awful lot of symptoms and syndromes through her yoga movement and... Uh, anybody else who's working with the body and that's why we are called center for spatial medicine it's the medicine of space the medicine of internal space which is done through manual work through movement even through clearing emotional disturbances through psych psychotherapy work which is going to clear spaces and um, it's about letting go of everything that you're holding in the body so the body can do what it does best which is keep you well it's good at that. It's better than that than anybody else. It knows how to do that. So, um, so that's really the message of fascia. And so, you know, to keep our fascia healthy obviously feels like the kind of aim of the game, really. And, and, and you know, I love this kind of theme of movement being medicine. Um, that's something I always sort of talk about, the fact that, you know, use it or lose it, basically. And, and the more we kind of shut down once we get an injury, for example, in our shoulder. I mean, I love the Jill Headley videos that we also talked about where, you know, someone gets a shoulder injury, they stop using their shoulder, the, the fuzz, the little wisps of fascia that start to build up overnight, um, you know, become wispy to begin with, obviously, in two days or three days or four days or five days when you haven't moved your shoulder at all, that becomes thicker and thicker and thicker. So when you wake up first thing in the morning, you take a little stretch like a cat and, you know, that kind of melts. And I think for me, having watched that video for the first time, the sort of, you know, um, dissection video and to see, you know, the real kind of, obviously we've seen it on maybe a joint of lamb or a piece of beef, that kind of really yeah. wispy, silvery, sinewy kind of tissue that lies over the top of that muscle. Say when you get a leg of lamb, that's how I started to identify. But to having watched now quite morbidly quite a lot of dissection videos to really get my head around it, it's like, ah, that's what it is. And it kind of makes sense that it melts as we move when it's so fine and thin um, but to actually experience which I didn't think was going to be that relevant to me until I started to get into touching um, some of the people on the course was the fact that you can actually just melt it through touch now that was absolutely mind-blowing I, I walked out of there on day one thinking I thought I was actually maybe not even going to come back for day two and I was like literally couldn't wait to get back on the second day I was like absolutely gripped it was just incredible I mean how yeah. how yeah, does that is, work this is just so exciting and this is why we do a lot with movement people because movement people don't always feel confident in using their hands and they might touch but if they really know the power of what they can do with that touch they can they can resolve all sorts of stiffness and injury and pains and things while somebody's even moving as they go around and cue and touch them so this was one of the great incentives to work with movement people to teach them touch and then also work with movement people to teach them how to really not only release fascia because that's one aspect that we have to do but we have to feel really feel the connectivity of it for stability because it's our stabilizing structure and we have to really turn a whole our minds upside down to a new paradigm of stability that isn't on contraction but it's actually on expansion and that changes everything because we've been taught to pull in our abs and everything. But we have to trust that the body's such a great regulator, regulator at appropriately contracting what we need when, 
that we are always too macro when we do it ourselves. We're not fine enough. We're not finely tuned enough to get into that micro organization. I mean, just picking something up, I have to organize a hundred different muscles to do the job, you know. So um, when we can keep to the connectivity of the fascia or feel it, and we really teach a sense feel to the connectivity of the fascial, and we've been given these kind of the starting pack of 12 particular fascial lines that take you from your feet to your head and to your fingertips and right through to the organs that you can feel as a structure which allows you to then let go of the old contractional structure because you fall into something new you actually feel the structure of the new fascial structure which supports you and then fascia doesn't have to rest muscles have to rest and work and rest and work so fascia can hold you 24 7 while your muscles rest ready for their next action um, and this allows for a huge amount of both stability and mobility. And they've always had to come in hand in hand. They're always, you know, we're designed to move stabilized as opposed to either be stable, then go and be mobile. I mean, that's an absurd thing for movement. So it's about moving in stability so that we don't get injured and so that everything gets distributed, so that everything runs past the joint, not into the joint, so that we're not holding on to tension and fear of not being stabilized enough. It's like moving with the handbrake on. I mean, we're just pushing ourselves against our own holding patterns. Mm. So there's a whole trusting element, but the trust comes through the experience of recognizing that there's something else has got me, something else is going to hold me, and I don't have to hang on to that for the stability of my back or for the stability of my pelvis. So that's really changed a whole lot of thinking and a whole lot of minds and a whole lot of movement practitioners. So we started with movement practitioners, um, and then recognize that manual therapists and physiotherapists and really um, were looking for movement tools because if you just work with somebody manually so much of the problem comes in the pattern of how they move and then they go back to their old pattern because habits are so hard to break and then it just recurs so they just recur they're being fixed but then having to go back so in terms of intelligent movement my my teacher julie martin who i did my 500 hour teacher training with and we studied with the surgeon who was also obsessed with by fascia but influenced by thomas myers and his anatomy mm-hmm. trains which we talked about on the course i know that you you know have a strong connection with him as well but i feel like kind of to really get into the fascia we've got to move in a completely different way than the ways that we have been taught i mean yeah. particularly with the yoga lineage it's like i don't my class is all about pulsing and dancing and waving and um, finding kind of very alternative non-linear ways to move the body to massage the fascia mm-hmm. I mean to actually open parts of the body that you know underneath the armpits or whatever you know these areas where the fuzz can build that we can't actually get into through the usual frames of movement of up down left right and doing very kind of static structural poses in yoga I, I feel like that actually creates more tension so there's not really any stopping in my class I don't tend to hold positions for a particularly long frame of time it's more about kind of continuing with fluid movement to try and keep that kind of whole network engaged and rehydrated yeah I think you've got to move in multi-vectors I mean that's absolutely at all directions Um, and whatever your your training make sure you're adding it I mean, if you're a professional training and you're doing one thing all the time, make sure you do something different in your training hours. You know, you've got to be doing different things, changing it up all the time, because we have to have the body prepared for anything that life throws at it so it doesn't just know how to handle life in one way or handle itself in one way. Um, 
there is a um, moving slowly does moving slowly and most importantly consciously with a with a very clear picture in your mind of what you're wanting now this affects the fascia because the fascia is not only responding to the environment of outside and movement it's responding to your thoughts and to your feeling and that's something which has really changed everything so you can imagine something and the fascia is already that fast because thought and action are the same part of the brain it's taking your body into action to do it and that allows you to let your body go into movement and almost be the passenger of it so you're riding the wave of the movement as opposed to pushing the movement we need some sense of slowness is very important because some tissue that's been locked down for a long time needs that teasing out and if you go into something too quick too fast you're either going to feel restricted and pull on something so that teasing teasing out of something and they and then reaching to a long stretch and loading into the long stretch so that we can actually not only load when the muscle's short but load as the muscle's long so that concept of loading into the long stretch not holding a static long stretch mm. but holding a stretch with a and it's not I don't want to use the word bounce they do often use that but it's more of an oscillation it's more of a breathing oscillation so it's a breathing bounce an inner bounce you can't even see it on the outside to tease into that long stretch that long stretch and that long hold and if you're going to hold a position in yoga challenge yourself to see whether you can hold it without a singular muscle holding that you're holding and you'll notice that the body will distribute that and you'll be able to hold it for so much longer you won't have screaming thighs or screaming glutes or whatever trying to hold the position see if you can just let go of your own musculature trusting that it's good whatever needs to work is going to work right then for whatever you're doing and suddenly your duration is going to go on and on and on because you're not muscles can only hold for a short period of time then they scream and have to rest so let them all go and see that you're still standing. You're not going to be a puddle on the floor. That's your fascia holding you. Yeah. Then you can start to trust another system. And that allows you to start to work, as you say, in a very different way. Very different awareness, very different consciousness to what you're doing. And so when people come and see you, I mean, what's kind of the first type of thing that you would sort of assess to kind of get to grips with where... You know where the trauma is being held in the body I mean there's a lot of emotion that gets stored up within the fascial network a lot of myofascial release work is trying to you know basically reset people's bodies in terms of the kind of you know things that they've been holding onto through their kind of life experiences yeah um I mean the body is always the end the end it's the manifestation of an inner state I mean, that is always the case, unless somebody's just been hit by a bus right now or they just particularly, you know, did, a, did an acute injury, which is something different. But if you've got anything chronic, it's a manifestation of something that's going on inside of you. And so for sure we have to um, work on the physical level because it's become a physical problem, but that alone is not going to resolve the problem because you're still going to be doing whatever created that imbalance when you go out again. And that's becoming more conscious of either movement habit patterns, what you're doing, mental patterns, whether you're thinking from a place of, of fear all the time, whether, in, whether you're seeing snakes instead of ropes all day is going to change your whole system. 
um, where your nervous system is set. Now, this is something, probably the first thing I assess when somebody walks in through the door is where is their nervous system set? Because if they're set in a high sympathetic alert, their body is wired to respond to that. The tissue is going to be set up for that. And you're going to be creating that stiffened, held body ready for action, ready to fight the tiger that's around the corner 24-7. Um, now the body's not designed to sustain that it's designed to go into that brilliantly thank goodness for us to survive and then it's designed to rest from that as and when danger's gone but we hold on to that as a mental unconscious drip 24 7 we're fed fear all the time so in order to you know for, for, for many advantages to many um, organizations so we have to be very careful where our thinking is where our system is and that can be set and programmed, of course, from you know birth, from child, from any stage. Your, your system can be set and stuck, or it can have gone into shutdown. Um, and so we're, the only state that any healing can happen is the parasympathetic state. So the first thing that we have to do is bring the system into the parasympathetic state. Um, and that we can do through the fascia because the, it's called the neurofascia, the fascia and the, and the nervous systems are so interwoven. They're interwoven as one system. You can't really separate them. And that's very, very new. That's very new acceptance. It's very new information that, that these, these two can work together. Um, I love the way when we were doing the workshop that basically you asked us to try and sort of check in with our own nervous system and basically work out whether we were in our parasympathetic or our sympathetic yeah. and once we could tap into the parasympathetic and understand that that's where we needed to be to be able to touch another person otherwise you're basically bringing that person into your state as soon as I could feel myself dropping down that's when the magic started to happen yeah. through my fingertips and that that is what blew my mind yeah. in that moment I was like wow and because we do you know we spend so much of our times totally unconsciously in our sympathetic yeah. you know in that in that kind of heightened state of alert and it's just unbelievable the things that you can do not just for your own body but for other people's once you can drop down and learn to tap into that beautiful bliss that kind of exists which sometimes none of us know how to get back to yeah absolutely i mean the the biggest thing really about this workshop that you just did was where are you as the therapist because if you want to affect change that system in front of you, your client or your class, is automatically, unconsciously adjusting to your system. Now, you can adjust to their system, and that's when we get um, practitioner burnout and, and everybody's so freaked out because they took on this stuff from somebody or whatever. Now, it's your responsibility as the therapist and as the teacher to be the one who controls whose system is going to adapt to who. And you got to be exactly where you want to be in your system grounded find that inner mountain go behind the stern and be in that heart space so that you're in your parasympathetic so that you are inviting their system to adjust to your system and it does instantly as you felt as soon as you go into that place and the beautiful thing is it helps you and reminds you to be there all the time that you're working and that's when the fascia starts to move because it feels safe because if you're flying in sympathetic nervous system, you're not a very safe environment and the person's fascia is not going to melt because it's not feeling safe. Because if you're not, if you're in sympathetic, it means somewhere along the line you're not feeling safe. So that message gets passed through. Now the extraordinary, and they even call it the coherence phenomena in the research congress, is that your system changes to my system and your fascia changes before I've even touched you. I mean, that's what they're addressing now 
in Research Congress. Is it, this is just a weird example. In, but in, entanglement has been another word used by the likes of Greg Braden and other people for that same phenomena that that we you know that we have that we can work with, and yet to fully understand it's a heart resonance thing and um, heart math do a big um, a lot of studies on this heart resonance and that's where this coherence phenomenon is coming from. Is it almost like when two women get together and they kind of go on holiday together and basically all of a sudden you start having your period at the same time yeah. as the you other women? It's a the kind of synchronisation. There's a, there's a physiology, physiology that synchronises, absolutely. But how, how does the human body do that? I just don't get it. It's well, incredible. Well, it's through this heart resonance because the heart is our first receptor and, and, it's, and it's now called the first brain, not the gut, because it's the first thing that responds and... And, this, and it, it, it's so, we have to realise we are so receptive. We are so receptive. We're just like antennas everywhere pulling in our environment from inside. So we're sucking out our environment from what's going on on the inside and from the outside. And, and we're just adapting all the time to that. And in a way we need to so that we can survive, but to the point where we've got to be really aware. If we can be aware of what am I adapting to? And hang on a minute, I'm not going to let myself adapt to that. That's just not worth my pain. You know, so that it's just like, hang on, I've got to stay in my, my, my centre so, so that I'm not flying off into somebody else's frequency. There's a lot of that talk that kind of happens on this island about, you know, um, kind of the fact that you're absorbing other people's energy. I mean, this E word gets bounced well, around here, not just in the, in the drugs capacity. I'm just, just a, mm, I think, ahead. I think, you know. I think what you're trying to tell us is, is brilliant because it, on, it kind of explains it. And, and there's a lot of like, you know, you can go into a certain environment and it might feel a bit druggy or a bit heavy or a bit, I don't know, full on and actually quite unbearable. But I think that that's obviously what you've just said is that we're just so, so, so sensitive. And maybe we feel out of whack, but we can't explain it. But that's because, you know, that we have picked something up. But I mean, how, how do you even go about protecting yourself from that well, kind of thing? Well, you do exactly what I was trying to teach you on the course all the time. You do the same thing whether you're working with your client or whether you're just out in life. You go into your centre, you find your your grounding and you found that even when we were doing that simple thing of going behind the sternum everybody could feel the feet much more solidly on the floor you find your your inner anchor your inner mountain you know storms can happen mountains don't move you know and that's not a rigidity that's a metaphor for just you know I'm going to walk into this crazy environment but hey I'm not going to let myself just be tossed around in it I'm going to hold ground while it all I'm going to enjoy watching it it's not going to affect me and that has to be a conscious act for for many many people it has to be conscious because that's because they're super super responsive mm-hmm. and many people are adapting without even realizing it because they're not conscious about it that that environment has 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 um, created you know if you've had a very anxious mother you know you're going to grow up with a filter of anxiety that you look through all the time mm-hmm. and that's going to be in your system um, so. I think there's a lot of people that just don't know how, you know, what you're explaining to how. me. I mean, it, it's not it's not something, even I found it a little bit tricky to try and master that Absolutely. during the course of two days. And I yeah. have way more consciousness, I would say, and awareness of my body than a lot of other people that haven't, you know, practiced yoga or spent a bit of time meditating or whatever it is. It's not that easy to just go, oh, there's my center, there's my grounding. Like this island's well, like a washing, you know, washing you. machine on tumble cycle a lot of the time, especially in the summer. And trying to find grounding is not easy. Well, it's exactly what I left the workshop to Virginia saying, boy, we need a whole workshop on just grounding. Like on actually finding that 
finding that place where everything can happen and it's not going to toss you about you know and that's resilience that's building a body for the 21st century and building awareness for the 21st century finding self amongst all the other things that are going on um, and that's what we need to do and that's what really I do when anybody comes to me um, privately we run these intensive programs three or four day intensives where people come and ultimately by the time they go they need to have a lot of tools for finding home finding self finding ground whatever you want to call it um, and that's uh, that's what they then go and and almost you know practice it's like okay how How's it going to be in this environment? You know, you can, you can test yourself and practice yourself just to not let yourself get spun out by environments mm. unless you choose to. And then you have that conscious choice. So it's, it's, just, it's, it's, it's a level of consciousness, self-consciousness that we have to start to take on. But we have to be responsible for that because we're, if we really understood how much we affected everybody and how much everybody affected, we would be so much more self-responsible with, with uh, how we were. Mm. Uh, absolutely. I think it's all just a choice as well, to to a degree. I mean, there are certain days and I walk in to teach a yoga class and I'm like, I'm not in my body today, not in the way that I want to be, and I can't touch anybody else because I know I'm going to end up, you know, being affected by what's going on with other people. Like, there's a studio that I go and uh, teach at in England quite a lot, and it's like, it's t- it's so different to here. There's, there's people there that have really big things going on sometimes, and I'm like, I... Yeah, I really have to just have a word for myself before I go into the room sometimes about not touching people because I feel like I don't want to um, be responsible for anybody else sometimes. Sometimes I'm just not in the zone where I can give everything because I haven't got left, much left for myself. You know, we can't give every single day. But it's not about giving. And this was a big thing. I had to um, pull a few people out even from the weekend and just have little, little kind of extra things with them because we don't want to not be giving because that's what we're there for but the thing is with giving you have to you have to make sure that and it's a classic to say that you're constantly full up and the only giving is the overspill so the most important thing for any class is that you're full and that's any teacher's responsibility so even and it can literally become I'm not saying to start with but it can become a, a momentary thought of finding that place in yourself and you're full you're yeah you're not drained anymore for teaching and making sure that you if you stay in that place you are giving from that place but you're not giving you're not giving away that you're just giving from it you're in that place and you can give 200% but that place is not going to drain it's just it's constantly going to re regenerating regenerate it's like the sun it never says okay guys listen you've taken enough sun i'm out of here it's it's regenerating all the time and we have to find that in us and so we work with these little kind of imagery tools where we kind of see the little gauge and notice if our if our if our energy is dropped and we make sure that it stays full because if it's full everybody's receiving you full which is a hundred percent more than receiving you giving it all away do you see what I mean? Mm. So you're still giving, but you're giving from a full self, which never depletes. And that says some very, very quick tools to make sure quite reg- you know, regularly through the day or at least before you're starting to teach that you fill up. And then you'll be amazed. You come out energized, not exhausted from a class. 
I, I have to say, I always come out energised from a class. It doesn't matter what state I walk in there in, even if I'm completely done in, I, get, I always, always come out feeling amazing. Like, that's just something I've noticed through the course of teaching all through the years. Even if I just go in completely dead, I'll come out feeling amazing. So I do get that. I mean, it's quite selfish, really, teaching yoga, because I always feel so good in the aftermath. I don't really know exactly what that is, but I find it very transformational for myself. And I feel like there's a lot of talk on this island, particularly amongst yoga teachers, about you know running retreats and then you know giving too much and then just being really, really rinsed out like an old sponge by the end of it. And I think you know that comes from this cliche of like overgiving. But I think that you're right. You know, it's it's a choice to say that you are full and there's a, you know a level of which you're willing to impart that fullness. But maybe you don't have to give everything you know you have to have a little boundary in place I don't think you can always just give the fullest part of yourself to the best of your ability because there is a point where you're going to be very 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 tired yeah you can see it as a 50 50 and the beautiful thing with okay I'm going to give 50 but I'm going to keep 50 which means the 50 you're giving is coming from you still from your 50 as well but you're not giving it away but it's coming from that place so it's coming from you enriched Mm. and then the trouble is when you give and give and give and give, you're actually giving on empty. So what you're giving isn't actually very valuable to anybody. And it doesn't even feel very nice. And the trouble is with givers. And we need empathetic people in this world very much. But there is a bit of an empath problem. Because they give so that somebody else feels good. Which makes... They're so sensitive that unless somebody feels good, they don't feel good. So they'll keep going until the person's feeling good because then it makes them feel good and that's the kind of empath thing because they need everybody to feel good to feel good themselves because if you don't feel good I can't feel good yeah that is the empath that's the strong and you know it's a beautiful quality but that empath has to be very 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 thinking about how can I make myself feel good without needing somebody else to make me feel good Mm. and they need that self-work that self-love that self-worth that everything so that's yeah this is uh it's it's not about guarding your energy because there's this strange you know there's these strange ideas about protection and whatever no i mean the very point is you want their system to be adapting to you to your state to your system you've got to have that communication that's what makes the change so you can't be shutting yourself off from them. You've just got to be keeping yourself full and keeping an eye on that all the way through the class. I don't know. I just think it's interesting because, you know, often in Ibiza, there's no, um, there's no road names, there's no house numbers. You know, you're finding something on a pin. You've got to get to a villa in the middle of nowhere. You might get lost. It's going to be really hot. Your car's going to have smacked off the road a couple of times. It's bumpy, you know there's a lot of villas buried up these crazy roads and sometimes you're going to arrive feeling quite stressed so you know there there is a moment when I often arrive at a a house and I'm like okay I can't go into this house for at least 10 minutes because I'm really stressed out right now and the last thing I want to do is knock on the door of the stressed out yoga teacher so I have to just sit there put the aircon on full whack and have a little chat to myself and you know breathe deeply and just recenter myself and just get back into my body because it's like right there I'm like seeing red why why the hell have I come found this ridiculous house in the middle of nowhere and sometimes I'm like you know and who and what you know what's it all for I'm questioning myself and sometimes very very quick technique yeah everybody can use it if you're in that situation and you've got to go fly into a doorway and suddenly be this yoga teacher seven six five four three 
two, one. Count down from seven. If it hasn't worked, count down from 21. You can rush to a bathroom, I've done it many times. 21, 20, sit on the loo, 19, 18. Count your way from 21 to one. And by the time you get there, your system's in a different place. Yeah? Sometimes just seven to one can work when you practice. But if, if, you're, having a, if you're having a big doolally, start from 21 and count down to one. And something as simple as that can really bring you down ground. Either that or lying on some um, some tennis balls underneath your head, which I like. <laughs> My other therapist gave me that one, which I sometimes use in uh, moments of madness, but not so good when you're on a dusty Camino in the middle of nowhere, standing outside a 10 million pound house where there's nowhere to lay on the floor. <laughs> uh, I've had quite so many of those. But in fact, I don't really do privates very much anymore because of that exact reason. It's just like, you know... Trying to find these houses is, is really challenging. You. I, 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 uh, I appeal to my all my students to, to not get caught into that just because people are in a different place. They have to invest something too. They have to show up because this isn't just about some pleasure thing. This is about change. And if the client doesn't show up consciously, willingly, having contributed a, fin- a significant effort to be there and a sacrifice to be there, then there is no exchange. This isn't a one-way thing. And if people think it is, they come in, they lie out, and they want a treatment and they want to go, well, I say come back when you're ready to do the work. And I've said that to many clients. You know, come back when you're present and you're ready and you've got the time in your life to actually take this on board because change takes commitment I can't be in your body outside of this room for the next few days you're the one doing whatever's happening and so you have to be aware and you have to start bringing that in and you know something when people only when people are bad enough and unfortunately it's just our human nature when you're bad enough then you do it but if it's just a if if it's still if you're still functional (laughs) most of the time you know so it depends um and yeah I guess I I end up with people who are really bad because I then they're prepared to really work and make and the beautiful thing is with this whenever somebody comes to me in physical pain I know that they are on the beginning of not just a physical healing they're on the beginning of a transformation because that's what illness and chronic pain does it shifts you to a different way of seeing different perspective different way of being and you get elevated into another place and I just and so I know that although they're in a horrible place there is I don't say it at the beginning but there is a positive coming because they're having to change something and the only way we change things is through discomfort yeah I think I'm going to interrupt there because basically that's how I ended up on your course because I go to see Virginia she treats me because I'm I'm not in chronic pain now, but there was a time in my life when I used to go to Canon Oliver maybe three years ago when I honestly just sometimes getting out of bed was a nightmare because I, my neck was destroyed. And it took quite a big shift in my, in my mental perspective, exactly as you've said, to try and get to grips with what this pain concerned. And I, and I flew to England and I saw a therapist there who was recommended by my ex-housemate who was a, also a physiotherapist and he was her teacher. And he didn't really say much other than ask me to watch this video about pain and this is what was fascinating from some of your slides because Virginia encouraged me to come to your workshop because she was like you need to learn 
how to move. And I was like, but I'm a yoga teacher. And she was like, okay, come to this workshop. And that's what this is all about for me, which was why it was so fascinating because, you know, many things I just couldn't understand about, you know, what it is that I'm doing wrong and why this is still a theme in my life. And I'm still not to the bottom of it all, but it's unraveling piece by piece. And I think what was brilliant about your slides, and I've seen this elsewhere, you know, about the pain story is like what, causes pain and what you know lowers our pain threshold and what we're receiving as feels like pain in our body but what it actually is and could be influenced by I think was one of the most um, brilliant parts of the course and just to kind of look into that a little bit more deeply has been a a real learning journey for me and and a, a big transformation in the way that I perceive pain because actually it's also almost like a decision you know just to crack on and try and ignore it and it can change you know you can move away from that pain story you absolutely can move away from pain and you know you have to really recognize pain as a gift because it's it's the only voice the body's got that you'll listen to you know we just ignore the body until it's in pain and it's telling you and warning you that something's wrong most of the time it's organizing everything for you and you're obliviously carrying on with your time and suddenly it says okay damn you're doing something that's now really hurting me and it makes you address what you're doing because there's some inner conflict that's creating pain. Now, pain comes after a long time of the body coping and compensating. It's very good at coping and compensating. We're basically a bundle of coping strategies and it manages, it manages, it manages, it manages. So it's nothing new that's happening. It's something that's long and it gives you an opportunity to change that, find that, change that, and then really reset the system to be able to then support you for the next however many years before something else starts to before something else gets strained but it has to be a friend because it's an informer it's telling you something's wrong and you have to say wow you know thanks because otherwise that could have turned into some some horrendous Mm. disease you know um and it becomes our barometer of how do we have inner conflict and we're so full of inner conflict Um, whether you're living on purpose whether you're living in competition instead of collaboration when actually we are not competitive by nature you know whether you believe you're separate from the from from everybody all these things create inner conflicts because we're living against the grain of our human nature and these start to inner conflict is in a war which starts to create an inner pain somewhere in the body so these are huge huge things belief systems and cultural systems and 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 um family and religion beliefs and all these things that have started to create a war inside you that then turns to a chronic pain and these are the things that get a chance to be aired you get a chance to suddenly realize oh my god that's that's not one out of all I've, I've been doing what I don't even want to do all my life. I've been living somebody else's life. I never believed that. Blah, blah, blah. You get a chance to really assess everything. And then let's, start let's, out on your own. Let's go in there then because, you know, that for me happened when I think, you know, when I was a music journalist, you know, for the last six years of my journalism career. And it wasn't always like that. I was like a hard news journalist before that, which gave me so much joy and so much excitement and I was really passionate about it but I, I know that you used to be a journalist as well and, it, and you know it reached a point where I could have been doing my job at BBC Six Music with my eyes closed like reading out 
entertainment news about you know Keith Richards falling out of a palm tree and bashing his head and you know needing brain surgery like I just really couldn't have given two hoots maybe he had too many pina coladas at lunchtime it's just like how is that breaking news like how am I giving anything back to this planet right now I just felt like the biggest piece of nothing I was like this is not my purpose I literally I'm just Mm. bored out of my mind and I feel like I'm not contributing anything to this planet it just it was I was distraught I was depressed I was depressed and I just had enough and I didn't know what to do and I knew something had to change something massive and I'm that at that point I was really into my yoga and that's when I thought okay I'm going to give that a full-time go see if I can make it work and the only way I could do that was to move here to Ibiza because people actually pay you properly for teaching yoga which is incredible and what a gift this island has given me to be able to move away from doing a job that Although everyone thought it was the most incredible job in the whole wide world and thought I was really cool for being a BBC music news journalist. I just felt like I had no purpose on this planet at all. And I was miserable. And everybody's looking for meaning. I mean, it really is down to that. Um, And so, and that's, you know, we call it the midlife crisis, but it's a gift. Thank God we get it. Because it allows people to turn things on their head and decide to do something different or sickness or illness. And I think most people who've had a chronic illness and recovered or have had chronic pain and recovered will say, wow, that changed my life for the better. And I know my illnesses have completely changed my direction and they were all a gift and I learned everything through having to do what I would have only done because I was ill. And that allowed me to to go into completely different arenas. And I see it every day when I'm working with people um, and they finally become the artist they always wanted to become or they finally change the relationship that's been been abusive all their life or they finally, in their own mind, deal with parental issues or all these difficult situations or resolve um, childhood abuses, anything like that that's been living with you. And that it just allows you to restock, take stock and, and um, reset things so that you're not dragging that on. You know, the body can amazingly drags the stuff maybe 30 plus years, 40 years, and then it's just like, okay, clean that out because we need to squeeze the sponge so we can keep going. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's overload, now it's overload. Um, and it's just a clearing out of everything. And, um, and it we get the attention comes from pain nobody you don't do it otherwise um pain or sickness or illness of course a friend of mine actually recently i hadn't seen him for like 10 years and we got back in touch we went out for lunch one day near brighton and he was looking painfully thin and i was like you know what's been going on and he said oh i've had this autoimmune disease i said well what's that all about and he was like yeah i just haven't been living an authentic life and i think that's where it's come from and i just took me a bit of time really to unravel actually what he'd actually really said to me and I just didn't even know that that could even be a possibility that you could get so ill from doing something that you just don't want to be doing all your life but I genuinely believe you know you if I hadn't have put the stoppers on where I was at in my life at that point you know I really believe I don't even know if he'd be here right now I think I'd be so ill with depression and all of the things that were really really and then it's a vicious circle because, you know, then you get medicated, then you get the problems of the medication, and then you get another condition from the medication, and then it just goes on the downward spiral. So some little kind of niggle in your back or a little bit of depression starts to become something bigger and bigger and bigger, and nobody's looking at, well, what are you doing in your life? You know, are you happy? You know, 
Um, is this the life you want to be living? But a lot of people don't get the opportunity to check in with that question. And even if they know that the answer is no, but they've got so many responsibilities, kids, cars, homes, mortgages, bills, they can't make those changes. So, you know, that's why I call this podcast the Reset Rebel Podcast, because I do feel like having come here and ch- totally changed my life. And, you know, everybody that seems to be living here doing something quite similar. And as I'm sure it's similar in Dubai, they're people that have had to come here and start their own business because Mm -hmm. maybe they can't speak the language and they can't get a job here and Mm -hmm. they've just arrived and you know there is a lot of untapped opportunity here in terms of creating something that is your own and does allow you to live your passion and your purpose but and get paid well for it and that like I mean that's why we're doing this podcast to give back to the island to give people free spaces on retreats and through treatments and therapists um, for people that maybe can't afford them on this island. That's what this is all about. That's what we've been doing um, for almost a year and a half. And it's, you know, it is important to give back to the place that allows you to be able to do that. And I guess that that's the same for you over in the United Arab Emirates. Yeah, I mean, people come... It was traditionally the kind of place where you were sent as an expat with a nice big fat package and everybody went and got all these kind of perks because it was supposed to be such a terrible place to live that, that you know, you got the perks to make up for it. Now it's becoming such a such a sort of in-place to live and everybody wants to live that all those kind of um, expat packages aren't available anymore. They're all kind of coming away. So you get people coming out and making their own of it. I mean, I went on my own back to, you know... To, to start courses and things out there many, many years ago and was travelling to and fro um, as I was also to the States and Europe um, and and then decided to make it a home. So, yeah, there was no big um, company with a silver plate. And so more and more people are making it their own, more and more people are, are changing their life. And what I like about it out there, like here, is you know that everybody who's there, 80% are not local, are from different countries, has made a, a life choice. So they're, they're an open-minded, um, creative person who's already changed something to make things better for themselves. So you have a very high kind of level of consciousness as well, as you do here, of people who are prepared to make changes, have taken risks, have done something for them to better life and for themselves. And that makes for a really good, good uh, city um, and an atmosphere for sure, an environment and huge creative opportunities out there huge creative opportunities and you know it's the city that says yes whereas I always you know in Europe everybody says no oh no you can't do that you can't do that and there they say yeah why not and plus and the rest and it's just like whoa you know huge possibility which is which uh, which I really enjoy for my kids growing up that they have that positive place of possibility um, yeah so they're doing some amazing things out there it's an exciting place it's it's uh, not not what, what what its reputation is a little bit like here Ibiza many people if you say Ibiza all they think about is the kind of the the few kind of crazy months of the year that's they don't see any other side of it I mean I've I just learned so much here from being here and being surrounded by like-minded people who you know do want to have their own business they do want to live their passions they do want to feel good most of the time and do things that kind of you know I think yeah just basically encapsulate that whole essence of you see how we're just exactly talking about how our environment affects us yeah how we have to move to an environment where we feel that where we we feel connected and to be able to express ourselves whereas in certain environments they're affecting us in other ways so we can't express who we are and we can't live that dream or that life that we want to live 
so there are certain places that attract those people it's interesting isn't it and people and I um, I recognize it a lot I travel a lot in different environments have, have really changed my my whole physiology feels different being in being in America being in Europe being in different cities being in the Middle East um, really strange and and uh, Ibiza feels a very good environment but as you say, people need to change and it's very difficult to uproot and go to Ibiza or whatever. But, you know, there are inner changes that one can make and there are inner resolves that you can make. And yeah, some people are stuck in the mud, but there's always something that you can do. There's always something that you can do. Even checking on your, on your internal vocabulary, your level of safety, your level of security as a mindset it's changing a mindset because you know some things we can change if you can't change it we have to change our attitude about it because that will change how we experience it and how if we change how we experience something it changes the physiology and your biology starts to change so you then start to heal or not heal if you're sick you know I think when I when I did this um, yoga teacher training with Julie Martin that I mentioned before, one of the first pieces of paper she gave us was a, an essay written by, I don't know who it was, about how when you lying in bed, if you even just imagined in your mind and envisioned yourself doing a yoga practice, it was like almost more effective than actually doing the yoga practice itself. And I was just like, how could that be? But, you know, now, obviously understanding a lot more about, as you, you know, exactly what you've explained, it's you know, being able to really... Im- see something in your mind's eye happening and and experience it happening and you know have that kind of visualization it sounds so cheesy but it it just it is so powerful it's kind of unbelievable the imagination is one of the most powerful human functions and it's so underestimated i mean if you think about it every single item in front of us was once just in the mind's eye of somebody who created it so first everything has to be in an imagined state So the more we can go into the imagination and the feeling of that, the body responds to the imagination as if it's a happening action. If we can imagine it as if it's happening and we are doing it, then the body's going to respond in that same way. So then you're going to get the, uh, even to the point of the parasympathetic um, nervous system coming in or the happy endorphins coming in so that you're going to start to change the chemistry of the body by imagining something that you long for or wish for or love or enjoy imagine yourself actually doing it you can't just imagine it you have to imagine yourself doing it so it goes on a feeling level mm-hmm. because it's that feeling level that the body's going to pick up on and start to adjust its chemistry to mm-hmm. that's so interesting I mean we did this little exercise on your course as well about you know I don't know it was something to do with all of us envisioning something and we all imagined it so so differently and what I say a lot in my class is that we're all completely unique structures which is why we can't have specific poses because not one pose that fits you is going to fit me right we have to adapt it to our own unique individual structures but in our imagination of course we are completely unique and what you're imagining something to look like in your head is not going to look the same as it would in mine so you know that again is another powerful thing that you know we're all completely different and you can envision something to to be you know as as good or, or as bad as you wish but ultimately it's a decision it's to to create it it's all subjective and it all comes from the filters that we were that we were that were downloaded into us when we were in the womb just in birth up the first really i mean the first three years is where your filters are given of how you're going to see the world um and uh, so then everything that you look at or is going to 
be through your filter and everything I look at will be through my filter. So you can see the snake and I can see the rope and we're looking at exactly the same thing, mm -hmm. you know. Um, you can see it as a great thing. I can see it as a, as, a, as a very sad thing. We're looking at the same thing. It depends on our filters. And at some point, and often it's illness and tragedy and um, the loss of, a, of, of, of somebody that wakes us up to clearing those filters and finding your own it's like whoa that's not my filter that was just downloaded to me when I you know by, by somebody else or whatever mm -hmm. in probably every good way because it was their belief filter mm -hmm. so it wasn't a necessarily a nasty download um, but it comes you know there, there's always a process I think in everybody's life where you start clearing okay well that certainly isn't my belief that was just one I, I, I've been carrying around and that's what you know that's just something my dad used to say I don't need to I didn't even deal with that one anymore do you know what I mean so you start to find can you start to hear your own mind you start to hear your own thinking you start to have your own opinion about something mm. um, and that's a really important process because otherwise you're, you're kind of locked into into filters yeah well everything is perception ultimately and you know you can look at things subjective. from so many different angles and it's just yeah. it's mind-boggling really when you really start to get into it like you know yeah. when you wake up in the morning and you might not be feeling particularly disco then you know, we all sometimes have to change our mindset from how we feel when we open our eyes to Absolutely. how we, you know, want our day to unfold. And that's a conscious decision of like, okay, well, sorry, mind, I'm not going to believe those thought patterns this morning. I'm going to go with this one, which is that I'm going to have the best day. X, Y, and Z is going to happen and it's all going to be marvellous. And that is just a, a game-changing way to start your day. And it's taken me a really long time to learn how to do that. But thankfully... I do have that tool in my uh, in my box right now, and I, you know, this is you know, again another reset tool that you can use, maybe with a hangover or whatever it is that you need to try and get out of your head. That's like, you know, going to basically hold you back for the rest of your experience of that day. You have to just move on from it because, you know, ultimately, you know, we could all delve around in the depths of our mind and experience all kinds of a manner of emotions that aren't going to be terribly helpful. But ultimately, we've got to find the one that's going to empower us and drive us forward to be able to get our get our stuff done. We've got to. I always. I remember watching an interview with Chris Eubeck, the uh, English, uh, very eccentric English boxer, and he says every morning, first thing he does when he opens his eyes, he goes, yes, 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 smile, 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 love, 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 and that's what sets him up for the day. Because if you say the word yes, hear the difference and say the word no your system changes dramatically between those two words so just waking up and saying yes to the day love and smile sets you up if you're having a bad day try it it's extraordinary he is absolutely start raving bonkers, <laughs> he is bonkers. I, love I think him, he though. used to live in brighton i'm sure he did because <laughs> he used to go to this restaurant and like turn up in his suit with his stick and his it was a bit like terry wogan one of my other absolute heroes on this planet and um you know uh, that there's a great example of, of somebody that embraces a the day fan. because you well i grew up listening to radio <laughs> 2 with my father who actually basically sort of rammed it down my throat it wasn't optional um, but you know again those warm familiar sounds of those honey warm irish yeah. lilting tones you know he didn't wake up in the morning and go christ i feel like a dog's dinner this morning i'm not going to go and you know warm up the world he went well here I go. What another marvellous day. There was this briefcase in hand and his hat on his head. And he used to get into the lift with him to go and do the breakfast show on BBC Six Music. And, you know, every day the man had a smile on his face and a little spring in his step. And that, again, wow. was probably another decision because he knew 
that he had yeah, to get on air so and be the, the the voice that woke up the world with a really, you know, a warm way. He couldn't That's be a miserable really old bastard, could he, on Radio 2? But um, anyway, I just felt that that was an inspiring, uh, inspiring closure to this wonderful conversation. <laughs> um, bit of bit of Terry Wogan, who's sadly no longer with us, but um, hopefully Chris Eubank is still around <laughs> and uh, and still fighting fit. I'm sure he is, and I haven't seen him recently because I've now moved to Ibiza. But anyway, it's been such a pleasure, Karen. Thank you so 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 much for joining us on the podcast today. I know that you've come all the way um, from the uh, the treatment centre. We've been giving people lots of wonderful. Um, yeah, private work. Mm. And just lastly, qu- yes. very quickly, October. Yes, we've only got like about two minutes left yeah. on the on the recording. Tell well, us. Well, we're back in October, and it's uh, a five day um, training, fascial training for movement people to learn not only movement but how to touch touch to affect fascia through movement. So if you're a movement professional, um, work with people through movement. Do join us. It's the third to the seventh. Um, um, 3rd to the 8th uh, of October and uh, in Jesus and um, yeah you can learn uh, some fascial connections through movement what fascia is and how you can affect change through both movement and touch in movement so it'd be great to see you there you can uh, look us up with centerforspatialmedicine.com um, and uh, find the details on that and thanks Joe for for this lovely conversation in this beautiful setting in Ibiza so it's been lovely thank you thank you so much and um, yeah safe travels back to Dubai Karen Locker from the Centre for Spatial Movement um, yeah it's just been an absolute pleasure as always to have such an amazing inspiring guest on the podcast and uh, look forward to seeing you next week when we're going to be having uh, a little experience uh, from the Cosmic Pineapple um, Festival which was back at Pike's Hotel this week I did pop in there for uh, quite a few hours and um, played a little DJ set actually which I'm going to tell you about on the next podcast Um, but I also caught up with one of the DJs uh, a guy called Jamal um, or aka Hieroglyphic Being which I just thought was the most brilliant uh, DJ name in the world and highly fitting for a festival called Cosmic Pineapple so we'll, uh, we'll be back with that one on the next podcast it's been an absolute pleasure to have you along on today's show and um, we'll see you Next week, don't go away. Reserable. It's the reserable. It's the reserable.